This is Decentralized, the Decentralized Trials and Research Podcast. We gather here with friends and guests to talk about the latest ways to make research and clinical trials around the world more inclusive, more accessible, more resilient, and more sustainable, all by using decentralized methods. This podcast is recorded live on Clubhouse every Friday, 12 to 1 Eastern, on the TGIF DCT show at the Decentralized Trials Club. You can join the live sessions and add your voice every Friday at noon Eastern time with the free Clubhouse app by following the Decentralized Trials Club. And of course, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform to get notified of new episodes. Following the club and subscribing will also help you stay current for any of the bonus content we may drop. And now it's time to decentralize. Hello and welcome to this week's gathering on Clubhouse, TGIF DCT, and for those of you listening uh, later in the week on the Decentralized Podcast. We gather here every Friday from 12 to 1 Eastern, and we cover a range of different topics based on your interests, your feedback, your recommendations. And so if there's a topic you'd love to see us cover in the weeks and month, months ahead, just drop a line and let us know. You can message Jane and myself here on the Clubhouse platform by giving our little profiles a tap. You can always message us through LinkedIn, through X, through email, or if you're not sure how to find us, your default is secretariat at dtra.org. And while we gather here every Friday live, for some folks, it's a little easier to get synced with us uh, later in the week. Uh, for, for those folks, there's the Decentralized Podcast, where we grab the, the recordings of these live gatherings and make them available a little more broadly. If you're more of a podcast listener, that's awesome. But remember, you can always jump in live with us. And the joy of that is you get to be a part of the conversation. As usual, we'll spend about half this week talking about uh, this week's topic. But then the best part is we open it up for the folks that are here with us live in the room and look for your feedback, experiences, questions, and perspectives on the topic. So, Jean, what do we have going on this week? Well, we have a very special guest, our friend Ahmad from Care Access, and he has a pretty provocative title, I think, for this topic. What is GCP really? And as soon as I saw it, Ahmad, the thought that came into my mind is interesting. What is it not? So I'm equally interested in the what is it? And then what is it not? And what have we made it out to be? So very curious to get this started. I love that that theme for the question because on the one hand, it almost feels obvious, right? We work in clinical research. How could we question what is GCP or imply that we don't understand what GCP is? Um, it's it's ingrained in us. We We all go through training over and over again with every job we take, with every study we take on. How could we not know what GCP is? So let's dig into this. Ahmad, if you don't mind coming off mute, introduce yourself for uh, for folks that haven't yet had the pleasure. And then let's jump in a little bit on this theme for the week. Uh, thank you, Craig and Jane. Uh, 
hopefully we'll uh, we'll dig into those those uh, nuances there. But um, but we have a quick introduction for everybody. Uh, so my name is Ahmad, as, as Greg and Jane mentioned. I am the CEO and co-founder of Care Access. Um, a, a little bit of maybe relevant background that will actually help frame maybe the, the angle I'm looking at this question from. Um, I, I kind of started out in our industry kind of working at the site level, helped build um, three sites, was helping to manage them, was, was in there kind of all the day-to-day -day things. And from there, that kind of grew and expanded into um, more of kind of what Care Access is today, which um, is um, diff different scale than that, but, but kind of, I, I've kind of, been there at the site level and have, have looked at um, kind of maybe some of the textbook definitions of what we all say um, and, and refer to when it comes to things like GCP and other important uh, elements, but also kind of have seen like in practice um, how, um, you know, how things work out and maybe some of what I wanted to kind of uh, maybe start the conversation around about what, what is GCP is kind of around um, basically kind of that, that textbook definition versus kind of in real life and kind of open that up really more for all of us to maybe comment on. And I'll definitely share a little bit more about my perspective on it, but I think it's a area that hopefully everybody can benefit from um, kind of talking a little bit more about. I think there's, there's, there's stuff in there to, to surface. So um, yeah, so that's a little bit about me and, and happy to get in. And just as a disclaimer, I'm not a historian. I am not a uh, GCP, um, uh, uh, kind of my, my life is devoted to clinical research, but not as like a, uh, uh, GCP historian or kind of a legislator or kind of from, from that perspective. So I, I, I'm a, I'm a lifeline, lifelong learner on that perspective and, and uh, look forward to learning more there, but just kind of more of the practical matters is where I, what I, what I deal with day in and day out. Wow, I've never even thought if there are GCP historians, but if there are any out there, we'll look forward to hearing from them when we uh, open up the line in, a, in about uh, 20 minutes time. Um, GCP historian, interesting so, job title. I did meet what I'm going to call a GCP historian. She might not call herself that, but um, I would say one of the preeminent experts on ICH and GCP and has been working on ICH updates internationally since the 90s. So I think she qualifies. She's not in the audience today, though. Ahmad, what, what's your initial perspective on GCP? Like, so the, the theme is what is GCP really? Well, well, what is GCP, at least to you, foundationally? Yeah. Um... I think uh, that's the core question, right? And so um, I, I've seen two interpretations of it kind of out there. And one of them is maybe more fixed and rigid. And it's actually, I think, a consequence of just how we roll out GCP training and how we talk about it. Um, and fixed and rigid maybe in, 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 in a good way. But um, as you dig in, and I can share some of the specifics around kind of what I've, what I've noted, like, I think that the, the core principles uh, behind GCP and what drives it forward is actually like a very living, dynamic, um, helpful framework for how to um, do work, build an organization, kind of do something that matters a lot, and, and to do that really well in a way that's realistic, that understands that you can have a protocol that is written um, and fixed, and then real life is where it needs to get implemented when real life is complicated. And 
how do these two things come together? Um, and how do you manage that? And and the the, the guidance around GCP, kind of what, what you read in kind of ICH uh, E6 and, and various other things out there, it's like super duper realistic in terms of how um, research and good clinical practices, everything should happen given that it's this mirroring of real life complexity with this kind of written down protocol of how everything should happen. Um, and, and sometimes where I feel we all maybe, including myself, kind of miss out on kind of the true potential of that is, is when we just look at only the, the kind of the fixed written in stone version of, of GCP and kind of refer to it as like the ultimate, you know, truth on how every single task within research, research should be or should not be conducted. Um, and, and I think that the, the actual spirit of GCP is a lot broader than that. Um, and it's, it's about, um, how to, uh, when you work as a team on a really important thing, such as a research trial, how does that become a living, growing dynamic thing that obviously, um, you can't anticipate everything that comes up in real life, um, as you're rolling that out, but it's more about guidance and principles of how you deal with the real life complexities as they kind of. Um, come up while you're following kind of the written instructions and and the principles around how you recognize those um, those uh, challenges or complexities or whatever you know we want to call it from from real life um, how how you interpret those and how that kind of becomes a really helpful kind of feedback loop back into how you should operate um, and ultimately I think if we look at like a organization that has history or doesn't have history. I think the the thing that captures that history into like a a thing that gives it value is actually like those principles of GCP being applied of of every single thing that could come up. Um, you look at it, you understand it, you go back and factor that in. And a lot of this is kind of the standard kind of quality cycle of you know understanding root causes and putting in preventive actions and whatnot. But it's like really the spirit of GCP from. You know, my, my take of it here that I'm happy to dig into it is observing those um, specific things that happen in real life and then going in and just building more and more on top of what you have to just get better and better and stronger and stronger. And so it's, it's like a spirit of how does an organization come to life itself like that. That's kind of how I see it and how at least kind of care access we try to we try to uh, pursue it of. Um, you know, if you've been around for five years versus you started yesterday, um, you might have like, you know, the same set of, you know, copy paste SOPs or something from somewhere, but like it's supposed to be that over the years, yeah, you kind of build on that and kind of have a kind of organizational history that, that compounds. And if that's done really well, it could be super powerful. So, um, that, that's, um, I almost see like GCP as the guiding principle for the whole industry to be kind of living and growing and dynamic and breathing, which at some points is, is like a opposite mindset of, oh, here's like the absolute truth written in a textbook that is like the traditional thing of how you do things and don't touch it. Um, so um, I think I think that's um, kind of when I zoom out, that's what I'm what I'm seeing there. So Ahmad, forgive me, but. Uh... I think you studied engineering and what I'm hearing in <laughs> your thinking here is what I am now attributing to the, the way engineers think about problem solving and setting things in place to advance the learning around a topic 
through iteration and practice, but maybe that's not how you see it. And I am kind of curious about how your engineering training fits into your thinking on this topic. Yeah, um, so I, I think definitely uh, me having my formal engineering tra training and specifically the type of engineering that I did have has definitely kind of given a framework to how I approach things. But I also have like a kind of a, a graduate degree in public policy and thinking about kind of uh, from a um, legislative lens, how, how we can help um, overall systems um, kind of be productive and not have things that are bad <laughs> happen. And how do we, how do we manage really complicated things kind of across, across the board. So, so maybe a little bit of co combination of those, but um, I think that the, the root of maybe all of that and the engineering piece is definitely to think about things from like a systems perspective, which is if I had to kind of break that down and maybe kind of uh, what, what I find really exciting about GCP is actually kind of the, the actual systems lens of it, which is kind of it looks at a thing holistically, like it's comprehensive. Um, it, and um, it looks at the um, kind of the key pieces of it. And I can kind of maybe give my share of how, how GCP sees these things. And then also has an eye and a vision towards like the future. So like these three things of, is it comprehensive? Does it give you the internal mechanics of the key pieces, kind of how they fit together? And then does it have a path towards the future? I think um, they're like, how, how does it evolve and change over time? Um, those are maybe three, three really kind of key pieces that come out of maybe some of the the systems thinking that can that can, can be applied here. And from from like GCP perspective, just to translate that maybe again, um, it, it's like the comprehensiveness and the pieces of the puzzle. I think when we look at um, the FDA guidance on GCP, right, it defines the roles, and everything we do falls within one of those roles. Of like you have ultimately you have the sponsor, and then you have the the site or you know, investigator slash institution. There's IRB, there's other other players, GROs are kind of there, but like ultimately it's like you have two pieces, you have a sponsor and then you have a site and um, how are responsibilities divided and kind of handled by the two of them working together. Um, sometimes if you look at it just from one side and not the other side, um, it kind of misses the ba balance there of kind of what, what's needed. And um, perhaps maybe the kind of the how what's the future vision of how these things go kind of that other element of the systems thinking that I mentioned like it's kind of the interaction of these two and how that can be like a dynamic partnership rather than like a only a traditional way that's framework um, that that dynamic nature kind of allows for um, the system to kind of grow and continue and maybe kind of more more practically speaking so I'm not so cryptic here <laughs> is um, the the way that uh, maybe some of the DCT innovations that I have, I've been part of, we've been part of um, at Care Access, you know, have, have all been under the same exact kind of GCP framework that is there. Things aren't changing at that level of like regulation, so they don't need to change. But um, the there is like um, so much flexibility in terms of how things within that framework can we can be done that it can unlock a lot of new potential in terms of like enabling um, kind of um, broader definitions of um, what is an investigator scope. Um, when you look at a site, what is the infrastructure? You know, the sponsor is still responsible for, you know, signing off on certain things. And then what does a site pick up? And don't want to maybe get too detailed there, but um, that uh, 
um, that the, the framework allows for a lot to happen. And that's what I, I think I find super exciting about, about GCP. And I, I don't see it at all as a limitation to like innovation. Um, and it's really like, I think a mindset or perception of it, maybe that becomes a limitation where um, um, maybe appropriately so there, there's a lot of uh, um, folks who maybe say, oh, you know, us at this sponsor, or us at this location, us as this site, we're super conservative. We're going to follow the traditional way. Once the path is paved for everybody, you know, then we'll maybe walk down that path a little bit. But like, I understand where that comes from. Um, but that's, uh, that's like not a GCP compliance position. That's like a um, business decision type of thing. <laughs> so, um, so it sounds like that among, yeah. there's a couple of layers there, right? I want to make sure I'm following, yep. right? So there's GCP as a standard. There's sort of a baseline acceptance of what GCP is. There's then thinking about this as a framework that we can operate within the constraints of what's documented as the standard around GCP, that it's not a limiter of innovation, that we can still operate and be agile around smart approaches that that there are multiple pathways within any one scenario that can be GCP compliant and consistent with those norms. But you also called out that this is sort of dynamic and, and living, which I assume you mean is more the way we can operate underneath that as a framework. Not that, not that we're trying to change GCP and that that has to necessarily be constantly changing, although there may be parts of it that need to, um, but it's more this mindset that operating underneath GCP as a framework, there's a lot of latitude and a lot of opportunity to um, not only think creatively, but to adapt things and change over time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Craig, maybe let me, let me point out a couple areas that um, maybe as an industry have, have, have added these layers um, and everybody comment on this, make sure I'm not going down, down, uh, down the wrong path here. But like the, the, the point is like, there's um, a way that has become kind of the traditional way sites and sponsors work together that, that um, gives either side kind of very little visibility across in a way that maybe we don't recognize all the time. And that, let me just point out like one of them, this kind of came up more recently with uh, um, with one of the sponsors we work with who's, who we partner very closely and, and can, can kind of look across the line and, and help each other out there a little bit. But like, for, for example, like right through, through GCP, um, the E6 guidance, right? Sponsors are basically the quality system of a site, right? So they're responsible for monitoring, they're the QC, they, they, they do all that. Um, and we were sitting there with, with our sponsor talking about Hey, let's let's set up some KPIs for on both sides that we can all sit down and, and look at and track, and have a dashboard for in terms of how we want to keep growing, how we work together. Super um, good positive thing to do. And then well, one of the points we were looking at was like, oh, let's look at um, KPIs and kind of around like response times to like a sponsor audit, for example. And one of the things that was was um, interesting to kind of share with everybody on the sponsor side was like, yeah, the sponsor comes in and audits a site and then they expect, you know, the site to kind of do the response and kind of follow up. But in reality, like that CRO is doing that, right? The, like the, the site usually doesn't even see the actual language in the audit 
observations. And then whatever gets written as a response, ultimately the site also doesn't see. But they're, they're, they're talking to the CRA, who then the CRA works to the CRO to then create the documentation and submit it to the sponsor. Like there's this layer in between that it's like necessary. But um, if we want to talk about like, hey, are, what, what's the turnaround time of a site? Are they digging into answering the questions or understanding the points clearly enough? Um, it's actually like the sponsor can re never really know, <laughs> like unless they get really detailed of like, did the thing that I'm pointing at actually get communicated properly to the site? And is the site responding to that thing that I had in mind? And there's this level of trust that, you know, this, the, you know, CROs and CRAs they're kind of working on, on this are, are doing a great job and majority of the time they are, but it's just like, there's like this, um, this lack of like direct communication on a lot of, lot of fronts. And also when things can get reported back to sponsors about sites, the sites aren't there to kind of add a lot of the extra, context and then also vice versa when sponsors are kind of writing instructions for sites on how things should happen at the site level whether it's in the protocol or kind of the follow-up like um you know the, sometimes even protocols themselves have inconsistencies in them like within the within the protocol like page four doesn't match page 56 or something um but uh um kind of the the on the ground practical hey how should um you know, how, how does, how does talking about the study and running it in this way actually um, get presented in the actual point of care with the participant, with the patient? Like there's like a reality there that isn't necessarily always like captured on the, on the sponsor side planning. So it, there, there's just because we have to have two entities like sponsors and sites given conflict of interest and you know, how, how DCP um, addresses that point. Um, there's like some, built-in things of how we operate as an industry that has, was probably you know, necessary to kind of achieve scale and kind of operate the way we have been. Um, but like working on like zooming in on, hey, what is that site sponsor barrier, the line there? And is that, um, can we zoom in on that, improve on that, partner better, better together on that point? Like it actually unlocks a lot of opportunities and potential. Um, and um and and again it's all within the gcp framework it's really like how we have as an industry decided to like implement some things and um there there's like um a sea of opportunities still out there uh, in a place where sometimes people look at it and it's like well you know how in the world are we gonna you know roll out this type of new project or that type of new project like there's actually like a ton of potential in there so um, There's Craig, a lot did, of potential, I lot but I imagine we also <laughs> run into this uh, challenge where where different sponsors interpret things very differently, as you said, based on often on their culture um, and on other considerations. It's it's easy for them to maybe say a certain approach is or is not GCP compliant, but sometimes that is based on an objective standard. Other times mm -hmm. it might just be based on their subjective interpretation often driven by their own culture oh craig i i'm so glad you brought that up because i was thinking as ahmad was speaking about the protocol being inconsistent which is absolutely true i've also been part of teams where we were not consistent from protocol to protocol within the same sponsor in interpreting the same elements in gcp so while there are guidance and we all do our best to follow them, 
the way in which we do that can be wildly different, even across teams in the same therapeutic area. And that's operating under consistent SOPs. So it's, I hear you, Ahmad. There's a ton of interpretation and um, sometimes, I'm going to say complexity added to what comes out of GCP in implementation. Absolutely. And Jane, a funny point is, you know, in, in E6, it specifically says that a sponsor's responsibility in GCP is to avoid unnecessary complexity, <laughs> um, like, quote. And uh, um, I think um, as sites, I think we see unnecessary complexity, like, all over. And, you know, at, at some level, some of it, a lot of it is, like, you know, necessary somewhere. But uh, um, it, it is, like, almost like a mandate that um, sponsors are given through GCP to avoid that complexity and just like streamline things and help help as much as possible. And a lot of people do, but you know, it gets, it gets complicated because again, GCP isn't like the textbook, here's the answer. It's like, here are the principles of how to approach something. Now let's go sit down and work through it together type of thing, so. Well, actually let's get um, in the weeds a little bit. One of the areas of GCP that I've always sort of found interesting is the investigate investigator qualification um topic i can't quote you exactly where it is in gcp but the requirements to become an investigator are actually not terribly onerous as written by gcp like you have to demonstrate you have appropriate educational background and that you have access to patients and that you've been trained and when I think about how we as an industry have translated those elements, I'm sure I left some out, into our feasibility and site qualification processes, it kind of boggles my mind. <laughs> it's like, huh. Now I do know you need some consistency across your protocol, so I'm not faulting us for putting systems in place. I just wonder if we put more in the system than is necessary to fulfill the requirements. And I'm very interested in others' opinion on that topic or any other part of GCP, frankly. And Ahmad, I bet you see this a bunch. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm trying to figure out which part of it to jump in and share my thoughts on. But like, I, I think the um, like investigator requirements piece, I, I think there is like, there is like a business element in how pharma works that actually drives a lot of the definition around this. And I'll, I'll describe what I mean, but like, it could be that the the team who wrote the protocol said, oh, this is like a more straightforward protocol. We benefit from having maybe less re less restrictive requirements around the investigator. Let's define it this way. And then the team that is implementing this you know, study management team, they maybe want to add a little bit more, make it a little bit more restrictive. And the team that's out there, you know, talking to potential investigators and selecting them they have like a lot of times incentives around, you know, making sure they pick good sites and um, do a good job. And so they, they, they make it a little bit more restrictive. And then there's like multiple layers like this that kind of layer on top of each other, where even if you start with something um, kind of um, more open, um, very quickly gets restricted. <laughs> so um, it, it's like, and and that's just because I think it's it's more of a when you have to do things at really large scale, right? Of like you need to select a hundred investigators, right? And you have to talk to three hundred of them, pick the hundred you want. Like 
how do you build a mechanism where your team is out there, you know, picking the best 100 and you have to kind of have some of the responsibility distributed on those folks and hold them accountable. And, you know, if the site doesn't enroll, you know, probably the person to the site selection, you know, gets a ding on their record or something. I don't know those, those pieces too, but like, it's just like the system, like layers on top of each other, like um, layer by layer, kind of um, there's this, uh, um, uh, example from the military where somebody was saying, okay, every, you know, gather all the troops out there, line them up at like 6am. And then they tell the next person in line, Hey, we want everybody at there at 555. And that person goes and tells like the group leaders, Hey, get everybody there by 550. Um, and, and everybody's trying to get themselves an extra five minutes to just be secure. And then you end up with everybody shows up at five and sitting there for an hour away, <laughs> wondering why, why the, uh, uh, program hasn't started yet. And it's kind of some of investigative requirements are like that too. And, and some of it's like to the detriment of of um, the studies and actually being able to kind of bring it to communities that haven't had research before and community like actual, you know, patients and participants, potential participants who would really benefit and kind of maybe further reinforcing this cycle that we're in to some degree of, you know, taking research back to the places it's been and and all that. So there's a lot of lot of um, thinking that can be done around that. But but definitely, uh, there, there's like some, some um, almost like business decisions that that um, sponsors can make to help unblock some of this, I think, just because of the, the layers there. But um, oh, so I could not agree more. And I know we're about to reset the room in a second. But I, I wanted to say thank you for bringing that up, Ahmad, because um, as somebody who worked a little bit as an internal consultant in a big organization where we all did try to live to the same SOPs, what I found was helpful, and I don't know how often it happens, was to ask people at the front end of any project, what is the strategic objective of this specific study or program? Because you might have 18 studies in your program, but they're not all trying to achieve the same objectives or fit the same strategic context that doesn't mean they don't all have to fit gcp but to your point the requirements to fulfill those objectives can be shifted to best fit that strategic context and i don't know that it to your point when i i could not have done that effectively the first time i was an in-house cra i thought there were there was one way to do everything. So I wonder how much we help people understand there is a fit for purpose aspect to the application of GCP. And I may just have incited anger and frustration in the audience, which I would welcome. Well, that, that's a great setup, Jane. Let's, um, let's see, because there's some great conversation here that, you know, we're having so far, but I'll be very curious to hear what's on the mind of folks in our audience on this topic. For those of you that may have just joined us here live on Clubhouse, welcome. You've landed in the Decentralized Trials Club. Always an easy uh, follow to join the club. If you tap in the upper left where it says Decentralized Trials in the Clubhouse app, you'll be able to follow. You'll get notified of upcoming gatherings. You'll also get access to replays of probably about a year and a half's worth of content there. Uh, for those of you that are listening on our podcast, Decentralized, 
fabulous. Uh, make sure you subscribe and follow over there as well. Um, we gather here every Friday at noon Eastern time and we cover different topics related to decentralized research. Those topics come from you and so remember to keep sharing those topics inbound. This week's topic is brought to us by our friend Ahmad Namvargolian from over at Care Access who is raising this question about what is GCP really and how do we think about this as a framework? How do we innovate but maintain compliance and support? How do different organizations interpret GCP, but um, what drives some of those different interpretations? Um, what are some examples beneath it? I have a feeling this probably has activated some thoughts on the minds of folks in our audience, so don't be shy. If you have a question, a perspective, a reflection, if you uh, stand opposed to things that you've heard so far or feel supportive of it, let us know. Feel free to come off mute just by raising your hand in the lower right corner. That'll give us the, the visual cue that you'd like to jump in on the conversation. Uh, until you do, we're going to keep carrying on over here, but um, feel free to tap that button and join in. That's the fun part of our gathering here live on Clubhouse. Um, so Ahmad Jane was just sharing uh, some reflection, some support. Um, for those Jane that just joined in, was there uh, kind of a summary you wanted to uh, drop in on your last perspective, Jane? And we'll set up uh, Ahmad to to, uh, to to come back on that. Um, okay, well, let's talk about a registrational pivotal global phase three trial, which might be one of the most rigorous frameworks we work under compared to um, a phase four evidence generation study. And Ahmad, I bet you've experienced both of these. I'm curious to know if you are finding that you are getting that strategic context at the outset of the project and whether or not you see the interpretation and execution of GCP requirements that correlates to those different strategic contexts as you're working ideally within the same sponsor, but maybe across them too. Yeah, um, great, great point around the kind of different levels of sensitivity, right? In terms of uh, um, phase three or phase four, or kind of other ways to cut it up. I mean, I must say most of our um, innovative work has actually been on those super critical phase three um important uh, uh projects probably because you know that's where the motivation is to make sure they go really well and can exceed and there's like more to more to gain right if you can unlock you know having the study go you know six months faster or you know reach a particular type of population like that there's more at stake there so um we've actually spent you know in terms of like the DCT innovation side of care access. We've, we've spent almost all of that time actually working on those critical kind of phase three projects and um, kind of less on the on the other other pieces you mentioned. So, I mean, we've seen both, right? <laughs> In terms of, um, you know, within that, that uh, super critical phase three um, type studies, you know, some of them where um, nobody wants to touch anything because everything's supposed to go to plan and we're good <laughs> that sometimes when you know we really do need to kind of come back to the drawing board and um and, and think about hey could could this study be run better somehow and what does better mean for this specific trial 
Um, of course, all within the same exact framework of GCP. And I think regardless of the level of importance, right, I think we're all as an industry kind of committed to making sure that the GCP framework applies fully comprehensively to everything we do, right? So it's, it's less of a um, concern there and more of like a business risk um, of like, uh, you know, what, what's the worst thing that can happen if this one trial gets falls behind schedule a little bit, you know, that's more manageable, more tolerable for like a phase four, perhaps than, than a phase three, that's already like, you know, you need to do everything you can to expedite it. So again, it's like the, the GCP framework and the, and the importance of that has, has always, you know, felt like it's, it's been, you know, consistently manageable and something we operate within and we want to work through. It's more of a, um, where is there the kind of the business incentive motivation to really go deep and, and, and do the hard work it's needed to kind of do that deep partnership and kind of work through, take things back to the core principles of GCP and reapply them to the, the new framework that we want to kind of operationalize something. So um, it, it's, it's, you know, the, the more sensitive things have actually provided more uh, motivation to, to do that exercise. That makes sense. So what you're saying is there's, and I'm I'm paraphrasing. There's more potential upside in those super important critical gate studies, the registrational studies, and so you see a deeper commitment to figuring things out in an innovative way. Is that a reasonable paraphrase? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And I think a little bit of where we we need to go as an industry overall is to open that up a little bit more, right? As an ideally, you know, it's not like um, only those projects benefit from a, a uh, enhancement, right? And I think we, we've, and this is something that, you know, through, through DTR and other places, you know, we've all had a chance to talk more about, but like, um, you know, the, the goal is to have, you know, industry-wide kind of improvements in how things happen, right? And, and they start out as like an innovation pilot, you know, that gets rolled out on something and, um, and then kind of expands into impacting kind of a whole phase three super important trial, you know, because that's where the motivation was. But, you know, we need to figure out how to kind of make it, make a broader impact, right? And that, that's maybe somewhat goes back to the original question too of like, how do we think about GCP? And should it be this, oh, here's the traditional framework. As long as you follow this, you don't have to think about all the core principles all the time. <laughs> um, is that should we how do we move away from that to hey everybody these are the core principles um do spend an extra like month thinking about it up front and then it'll save you a year later type of thing is it like it's worth that investment and how do we make that not be one month but like one week one day <laughs> we worked on that aspect of like the amount of planning and um kind of special thinking and whatnot that's needed and collaboration and all you know all very positive things the amount of that's that's needed um how, how do we make like the burden of that less so we can just do more and more of it um and again like i think gcp actually is like calling us to do that right of, of, of making the, these improvements and continuous improvement in terms of every individual kind of entity in the industry but also as an industry as a whole so um kind of owe it to ourselves and our patients to, to keep pushing there, but still got uh, got some work to do. I think it's GCP, but also, frankly, the regulators and other agencies that are trying to 
find ways to improve health equity and access to health care as well as to trials. So it's not just the set of rules, it's also the public entities. And maybe that's where your public policy background comes into this, Ahmad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think we, I mean, we're, we're seeing that right now, right, in terms of FDA having um, requirements around diversity. Um, that's been, um, you know, a motivating factor, right? And, and it having consequences that, that then prompt, you know, biz, business decisions to happen rather than a, we all know we really need to do this, but then where does it fit in type of thing to literally there's like a quantifiable business, <laughs> business consequence if it doesn't happen well, um, that, uh, that, that we all need to act on. So, um, th those things definitely become, a um, a motivating force for change and um i think it's been been very refreshing to see see more and more of that kind of um coming uh to the forefront and, and, and driving for uh, change in the right direction so hopefully, hopefully even maybe more of it and, and that's from my public policy perspective so <laughs> there may be some that listen to bits of this conversation and want to infer that some are going to question GCP because they want to rush, they want to cut corners, they want to speed to do things differently so much so that, sure, they'll question what GCP is along the way. Ahmad, what are your thoughts for those that might be jumping into this conversation with that as their kind of presumptive mindset? Yeah, um, well, I mean, if, if that... You know, cut, cutting corners is actually what is happening anywhere. I mean, we, we should all be careful for that not to happen, right? As in, I don't, I don't think anybody is is uh, um, advocating for that, and and um, definitely don't want that. But um, you know that we should be open, like maybe have have more forums where we can go and you know present, you know how a um, kind of a particular new way of doing something or the model or something fits within the gcp framework and all the thinking that went into you know mapping that out and confirming it and getting all the pieces to fall into place and um just just uh confirming that uh that's how it's done be able to surface that right and have a have a have a place to actually talk about that and maybe have some kind of a kind of um broader transparency and kind of uh, collaboration on, on that front. So it's not a thing that happens behind closed doors and then somebody working in from the outside doesn't, you know, can, can maybe assume a lot of things, right? Maybe appropriately so, but like assume things without, without having like the place to go to kind of look into that, which maybe goes to, you know, a lot of the how we innovate question too. <laughs> so. Well, that's, I love that idea, Ahmad. And Part of the reason I love it is because as somebody on the outside of these agencies, I wonder how they manage coming to a consistent interpretation of GCP, FDA guidances, etc. So what I mean by that is the folks who are helping to set the innovative principles in place in guidance documents are typically not in the review divisions. Now the review divisions at FDA definitely get to weigh in, but my point is those are big organizations too. And just like in sponsors, I can imagine that it's easy to interpret the same GCP element in different ways. And I think that's where 
this opportunity to share examples and work them through together with multi-stakeholders would be very helpful. Because I often wonder how the folks who show up to audit studies from regulatory agencies are really learning and applying those new frameworks within the context of GCP and innovation. That's a theoretical question, but I think it's not so theoretical when you're the person who's going to conduct the audit, right? I, I kind of feel a lot of empathy on how they're having to walk the line of what's written down versus what we see coming in a draft guidance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one, one thing that came to mind as, uh, as you were mentioning that is you know, the, the part you said, you know, having, you know, all the stakeholders kind of contributing right to that, that dialogue, that conversation and having their voice represented. Um, I, I, you know, systematically, I think the site voice is generally like underrepresented maybe at that kind of top level. I mean, it's, it, things are open, you know, for there to be communication, but there isn't like a, you know, sponsor has like a direct contact with the FDA, for example, and that's more or less. Um, and um, really there isn't like a official channel for like sites to kind of be in touch with the FDA. Um, and, you know, I actually asked the FDA, we asked the FDA, <laughs> why is that? Um, can we have a direct channel so we can we can engage in more conversations? And it's really like, there's just too many sites. That's like, that's what we were told. There's too many of us. And so like, we can't, um, it, it's hard to to have that. And it's like, we, we, we are relying on like our sponsor partners and whatnot to be the voice of that. And I think there, there is room for a lot more site level um, kind of information to be like surfaced at the level of regulations. You know, earlier we were talking about, you know, within sponsors, you know, that getting surfaced more, but kind of, at the point of the, the FDA regulators, other folks, um, that there's a lot to say. And, and granted, you know, a lot of people who are in those seats actually maybe have a site background, right? They, they, they know what, what's happening on the ground, but kind of maybe more systematically um, thinking about opening up kind of um, seats for, for those particular perspectives to be kind of more, more highlighted. I think it is, it is uh, lacking compared to what it could be. Um, so um, definitely um, some work to do there. Well, I, I do notice we have members from site organizations in the room. And so I, I really want to echo Craig's invitation. If you have questions, comments, or opposing positions, please just raise your hand. We would love to include you in the conversation. Always a great reminder, and I think we have a uh, hand that is up. We have uh, we have Lucas joining us here on the stage. Lucas, come off mute, introduce yourself, and share your perspective on today's topic. Thank you very much, Craig, um, and good afternoon, Jane and Ahmad. Um, it's a pleasure being here because it's um, really interesting topic. Um, I'm here for the first time, but I think I'm going to be joining you uh, more often. But I do have one question. Um, I just wanted to hear your perspective and your thoughts, because um, I do agree. GCP is like, um, yeah, giving a framework, um, kind of a core of principles we should follow. Clinical research landscape, though, is, is changing quite rapidly. It's you know, changing quite fast. Much more technology is being involved, including 
you know, even artificial intelligence being used as well. So my question is, should GCP move towards further tightening of the requirements, like like GMP, say for example, or should it move towards um, you know relax these requirements, losing this these requirements? Thank you. I don't actually see it as an or, <laughs> Lucas. Okay. This is just a personal opinion. I I think it isn't necessarily going to radically change in terms of the principles of GCP, but I think what is going to evolve is our understanding of how to use new players within the clinical research ecosystem under the framework of GCP. So for example, how might we use clinical practice practitioners and data as part of randomized clinical trials in a more consistent way that is compliant? I think that's where we're headed rather than, this is again, a personal opinion, rather than uh, abandoning the ethical and um, documentation standards that come in to GCP. But that's an opinion. I'm curious to see if, to hear if you think it's different. And it's, it's, a, it's a great question, right? Because that, that one would think if, if there's an ask of GCP, evolution, do we want it to get tighter and more explicit and more specific and really narrow things down? Would that be more helpful or does that limit innovation and become contrary to what we were saying earlier of being a framework uh, upon which many different solutions can hang and operate? Lucas, does that get to some of the core of your question? Which way do you think things will go? Thank you. Um, thanks for thanks for the response. Um, yeah, um, I, I think I think we will be moving towards um, further tightening of these these um, requirements. Uh, obviously, like like Jen said, it's only my my personal opinion. But but having having reviewed this 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 newest revision of of, of ICGCP, um, I think that that they're trying to get it um, more detailed, more specific. Um, but again, and it's just my, my thought, and I'm glad that I could you know hear James' um, voice as well for, for that. Thank you. Well, the caveat is I am not a regulatory professional or a compliance expert, so it's strictly an opinion. And a qualified one, but true. Not None of us on this stage are, uh, are, are qualified prognosticators on the future of GCP. Ahmad, what are your thoughts as you hear Lucas's question? Yeah, I'm. I'm I, I wonder, kind of, maybe this is you said this too, Craig and Jane. You guys are both commenting on this, but there's like a one dimension is like how tightened or relaxed it is. I think. I think the there's a different dimension of. Um, I guess I'm. I'm wondering what that other dimension is that we're saying. Hey, it doesn't have to be either of these two because I think there's a a maybe. As you take the core principles of GCP, which I, I'm like, I feel really good about. Actually, happy to, you know, <laughs> happy to defend those. Um, but like, I feel like from that you can build something that does get pretty, you know, restrictive if you want to. But almost it's like the, the there's like different versions of what that more tightened, restrictive way like could look like. And and one organization might pick one 
one interpretation versus the other. And I think that's where we get to like, oh, interpretations matter. And so maybe it's like, we almost need like a GCP position of like, hey, what layer of tightness is like a um, organization's choice? <laughs> you're okay to just have your preferences and which ones are the core things we're all gonna like get on the same same page on and not have it be kind of open to interpretation or something that can be, um, you know, there could be, I mean, we talked about the consistency thing earlier too, right? Of like, how, how do we all just know what part, what part we're on the same page for versus not? So um, when we look at something, it's clear like, okay, this is actually based on the principles of GCP. We should all be agreeing that this is how it's done. Um, and then any other, you know, detailed um, restrictions around it is something we come to the conclusion of um, like per that organization or something. Is it like there, there's like, we, we all agree to have that difference there, but um, definitely something to think more about. Um, and uh, I, I, I think the, the spirit you said, Craig, of like um, being in a, enabling innovation to continue to happen just by the immediate reaction from the innovation lens is like, oh, no, don't make it too tight. Um, we want to be able to innovate and, and kind of explore the, the variations there. And, and um, we probably have a lot more of that type of work to do before we are, everybody's comfortable with like uh, tightening things up too much. So um, anyway, lots to talk about there. So I am going to just put a perspective out here that I, I think that we can look forward to some more information coming, not necessarily in GCP, but in the guidances that are going to be moving from draft to final in the next year or so. So that would include the guidance on DCTs. Um, and we heard at the annual meeting that right now the FDA is reviewing the comments that they received, which were plentiful, somewhere in the order of between 800 and 1,000 submissions were made. Um, and Ahmad and Lucas, I didn't hear a clear direction, like we're going to tighten things. What I heard from the FDA was we're going to try and provide some more practical examples so it's easier to interpret what we think is the appropriate way to implement DCTs. And Ahmad, I'm sure there's going to be individual interpretations on top of that, but what I heard was we believe that this is the way things need to go and we understand we need to provide a little bit more operational detail for you to feel comfortable. Um, there's also a growing interest from the FDA and from the EMA to use real world data as part of both traditional randomized clinical trials and to advance evidence generation for secondary uses of medications that are already approved. So what I am hearing there is we're going to have a set of data standards, but the methods by which you collect that data may vary. And those two signals that we are going to have a final guidance on DCTs and how they work, and we understand there are new ways for data to be useful in clinical trials and in evidence generation tell me we're not going to change rigor but we are going to change some methods so I, i'm kind of hopeful about that personally and i'll let ahmad have the last word on this before i close the room for the day yeah thank you jane um i think that 
when, when I look at how things are evolving, right, there, I think that the site model or what we call the site or the institution investigator kind of from a E6 perspective um, has evolved um, to a point where um, you can fit it within how um, GCP talks about a site right now, but um, has evolved in a way that like, um, it's there's like proven ways that it could be different that work that create new types of value that are worthwhile looking at and recognizing like officially and i know that there's like some sponsors have fully embraced that some are very hesitant somewhere in between and i think uh you know any official kind of statement from a um fda regulators anybody to to like recognize that oh okay those models have been tried the data looks good we think so far so good keep going like something like that would actually add a lot of um uh uh courage i think to everybody to keep 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 pushing on on those fronts so um definitely uh um think things like that site model you know how pi oversight works you know different entities that kind of can live on the site or sponsor side kind of space um what lots of like cool things have happened there that are worth uh worth maybe um talking about more in the open officially so um hopefully as uh, the the new um version of e6 gets rolled out and maybe even another one hopefully soon, soon after that because i think there's even more um uh hopefully we'll we'll be able to to um, all of us have a conversation around those and help drive things forward so um jane and thank you very much i think craig maybe hopped off but thank you too and thank you everybody for listening yeah, thank you very much for joining us today. And I, I really love the provocative question that you framed for the whole hour. What I take away from this is we are getting evidence that there are different ways to interpret GCP without compromising compliance, which is pretty awesome. And we want more use cases to help people understand how you can navigate that um, framework while pushing things in new ways. Um, just a heads up, I think we're going to get to talk about that in the new year with some folks from Canada who have been implementing some new systems under their clinical research access in remote settings framework. So hold for that. Um, but I think that this concept of how we innovate within a compliance framework is not going to be a topic that goes away. So um, next week. And thank you again, Ahmad, for joining us and Lucas for coming on stage. And hopefully we provoke some questions in the minds of the audience. I want to reinforce we love audience participation. So next time, raise your hand. It's, it's a pretty safe space. Next week is our last meeting of the year, last clubhouse session. And we are going to do a year end review. So this is a call to action for those of you in the audience now to think about what you've seen, what you were surprised by and what you are looking forward to in 2024. So we will be back here same time, same channel next week. And of course, if you're listening on the podcast and have feedback, suggestions, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at the DTRA organization, either to myself or the Secretariat. And I want to say thanks to all of you who stayed with us today. I hope you got something useful out of the conversation. All right, enjoy your weekend and have a wonderful day wherever you are.